What is up, everyone? Welcome back to The Awakened Catholic Show. I am so excited to have the discussion that we're going to have today with the guest that is here in person, Kelly Gherkin. Welcome to The Awakened Catholic Show. Thank you, Nick. I am so excited to have this discussion. You and your your husband started a beautiful ministry. Um, some of your team is here today, and the things that you guys are doing uh, to, to bless families, bless couples who are dealing with some of the bigger challenges that, that a family can deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's touched uh, in, in my life, people that are close to me as well. Mm-hmm. So I understand the value of it. Um, we're going to get into the details of the ministry. We're, and, and basically, if you want to just give us like a one sentence, what you guys do. Um, Sufficient Grace Ministries provides support and resources for families walking through the loss of a baby or, or young child. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I have dear friends that have gone through that, and uh, I know how important it is. So we're going to learn more about you, Kelly. We're going to learn more about your story and the ministry of Sufficient Grace Ministries. All of that is coming up right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Awakened Catholic Show. This is not your grandmother's Catholic talk show, unless she's a really, really cool grandmother. I am your host, Nick De La Torre, and today we are here with Kelly Gherkin of Sufficient Grace Ministries. Kelly, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm doing great. I really appreciate you taking the time to be here today. Uh, I I was so excited when our mutual friend, Kevin Jory, made the connection. uh, And Kevin is amazing. And if he says you're amazing, I trust that he's right. (laughs) And in the brief time we've had talking before we started recording, I discovered that to be true. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Uh, so take us take us back to the beginning, um, not necessarily just of some of the, the the challenges that you and your husband faced, but also just like where your, your spirituality, your journey with God that that led up to those situations. Oh, that's even further back. Yes. So, um, I was raised in the Lutheran Church actually as a child, and I was always drawn to God. Mm-hmm. Um, even my family didn't always go regularly to church, but I would even at ten years old walk to church by myself. I wanted to go wow. to Sunday school. I just I had that longing, so that that's that beautiful. was always there for yeah. sure, and. Um, I was a little rebellious in high school. Mm-hmm. My parents were divorced. Uh, I, I didn't have a lot of interaction with my dad growing up. My mom was a single mom, and um, and I had you know a couple stepfathers. And so, in my teen years, I was a little bit wandering mm-hmm. and rebellious. I can't relate um, to that at all. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, so a little bit of, of partying and and kind of just trying to figure out who I was. Mm-hmm. And I actually um, started dating my now husband. Uh, my senior year of high school. He was a junior. That's just like my wife and, and I. Really? We started dating our senior year. Oh, yeah. Wow. And um, we, we, I, I was pregnant within six months of our relationship. Wow. So this is a part of the story I actually don't often get into. I so love you, it. You started further back for me. So um, you, you heard so it first here, folks. This is breaking news <laughs> about Sufficient Grace Ministries. Right? <laughs> So uh, we, my husband still had a year of high school to go. I was at graduation, around graduation time when I found out. So people didn't really know from me, but he had to go through another year of high school. Oh, um, and we had our son when he was a senior, and we got married um, shortly after that. And wow. so he was my husband while he was still in high school. So, that um, is so interesting. you can probably start racking up the statistics now of how why we should not be married <laughs> oh, still. Oh, my gosh. No, well, I couldn't feel differently about that. I actually. <laughs> One of my biggest hangups is this this crazy obsession we have in society of putting marriage off and putting it off. And, and what's really okay. happening is um, we're actually encouraging young people 
to wait until they're ready to get a divorce mm. to get married. Oh, wow. Wait until you wow. have your career path on both for, from both parties. Sure. Wait until you're totally self-sustainable mm. before you connect. You, you tie the knot. I think it's crazy. And, and even just biologically, we were designed to get married younger than we are. Well, and I tell my children, you know, there's a lot of things they are thinking about before they get married because they did wait. Uh, my oldest son just got married. Mm -hmm. um, my youngest is not yet, but they, they have to consider things that I never thought of because mm. I said, well, I was a child. So sure. I just, I didn't think about any inconvenience of having children or how is this going to affect me? Mm. And our, we didn't have those independent adult roles yet. You know, yep. we, learned and grew together. So, yeah, yeah. so um, you know, God's math is different than society's. Indeed. So statistics, according to society, might say we shouldn't be together. Right, but God's right. math is, is way different. Amen. So uh, it was rocky, though. We did both come from, um, you know, divorced families. Mm -hmm. And we didn't see that model growing up of how to have a successful marriage. So mm -hmm. it was hard in the beginning. And I would say I just so desperately wanted to know how to be a mom and how to stay married, that that really is what drove me to my knees to know wow. I really needed Jesus in wow. a much more real way. Oh, than praise God. I, it was yeah. bigger than me being yeah. a mom, and I didn't want to mess it up, and I didn't want to, sorry, no, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to get divorced. I didn't want that same path. I wanted it different. And can, we I just, had to, can we just sit in that for a moment? Yeah. Like the the pain that people feel in their, in their various circumstances, and it leads to so many different conclusions, and the vulnerability that you just shared that with us, that, that, um, when you were in that, that you realized you needed saving, you needed yes. Jesus. Yes. And I just want to encourage our viewers and listeners, um, like whatever you're going through in life, mm -hmm. like allow yourself to soften and, and to receive God yes. in that, right. Rather yes. than, because the, the other way of looking at that, which is the way that the enemy wants to whisper into our ears to encourage mm -hmm. us is, Look at what God has done to you. Look at where God has put you. Push yeah. him away, mm -hmm. right? And that's those are lies from the deepest pits of hell. Mm -hmm. The real answer is we have put ourselves in these situations. Humanity is hurting each other from yes. the beginning, mm -hmm. right? And it is only God that will bring that beautiful reconciliation, the healing. So I just want to thank you and affirm you in, in, in that you. part of the story and, and invite others to do something similar, yeah. Yes, I, I had a friend who had just gotten saved and she was talking about the transformation. Mm. And, and so I just fell to my knees. I wanted him. I wanted saving wow, <laughs> and God. surrendered yeah. my life. And when I got up, I was a new creation. Mm. And even though yes. I had known who he was, I didn't know him in a way of, yes. I want to live for him and I want to be his and worship him with all of me. Not, mm. I hadn't done that before. And so yeah. um, it changed. I was no longer, it was probably really unique for my husband who did not make that choice right away okay. um, to have the party girl set be this sainted mama figure, you know, uh, was much different than yeah. um, what he was used to. But um, so it was about 12 years before he came to know the Lord, which that's a, a later story. In so, the so did that initially create more tension between you two? Yes. What was that like? It was really, it was really difficult um, because I wanted to honor God um, in our marriage and I wanted to, um, you know, have this good relationship, but he was sort of you know, resentful and, yeah. and, um, I was lonely in it a little bit too. Mm. I wanted to share that with him, but it eventually led to at first, yes, there was tension, but I, I began to learn from the church ladies. Mm -hmm. Um, they taught me how to be a mom, how to respect my husband, how to be a wife. And I didn't grow up in a household where men were necessarily honored. Mm. You know, my mom had, 
had uh, to do a lot on her own and men yeah. left in my, yeah. um, this is a lot. I don't usually talk about this. Oh, very no, much. this is beautiful. Um, you know, that was sort of what I was raised with. And so not intentionally. I mean, everyone did the very yeah. best they could. And so I had to learn how to honor him. And in that learning of me honoring him, then our marriage did begin to improve because wow. I learned how to love him in a healthy way right. and in the way God designed. So Yeah, so you mentioned that in your household growing up, men were not honored. And and did I catch correctly that a lot of that was well deserved? Like oh, that they would leave? Is that is that what you were getting at? You know, in some ways, yeah. I okay. mean, I think I, I don't want to throw all of the the men who, sure. you know, my own father or the stepfathers. I, I believe that all of them at this stage of my life, I look back and say they loved the best they could with mm. what they brought into those relationships. Mm. And mm. and God has healed so much. Sure. So I certainly don't want to undo that Disparage. by dishonoring yeah, them in totally. any way. But I think, yes, I mean, they didn't, they, you know, they did leave or, yeah. or have, um you know, maybe flaws that... Um, that was magnified more yeah. in my household than men are worth honoring. So you know, I, I know that this is like not explicitly. We're really going in different directions. Yeah, I know usual. this is not explicitly about <laughs> sufficient grace ministries, but but there's so much power in in what we're talking about right now for the people viewing and listening. And I don't want to uh, miss the opportunity to you know provide these thoughts and insights and and, and this part of your story. Um, you know, I was, I was sharing with both of you ladies. Uh, before we recorded about the episode a few episodes back about theology of the body. And in that episode, we, we talk about this passage from uh, the prophet Hosea, where um, through the prophet Hosea, our God tells us, the body of Christ, his bride, mm -hmm. that he will make us lie down in safety and he will betroth us. So beautiful. <laughs> it is beautiful. It's so powerful. And, and what um, the guest for that episode, Christopher West, what he and I talked about, and, and he brought this beautiful illumination connecting that to the book of Genesis, where the, the Hebrew word for male is zakar, and the Hebrew word for female is nekeva, and that both of them have happy homonyms. Zakar means to remember, and nekeva means um, to, what was it, Ethan? Was it to open? Yeah. I think it's to open, right? To be receptive. Mm -hmm. And so with Zakar, the male's job is to remember divine love and, and to protect his wife mm -hmm. in that spirit of yes. divine love. Yes. And Nekeva, the role, the, the job of the woman is to open and receive, mm -hmm. but she can only do that in as much as the man remembers mm -hmm. his, his job. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I just want to encourage if, if there's anyone watching or listening that is going through a difficulty in their marriage or in, or in these male-female dynamics, um, like you kind of pointed out as well, everyone is is coming from places of wounds of different types. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're all, I like to say, we're all trying to try our best. Yes. Because none of us are actually trying our best. Mm -hmm. we're, tr we're trying to try our best. Right. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, there's kind of a, a, a dual reality where the man, man wants to be loved and respected. Mm -hmm. um, but, it's impossible to do that if it, it's difficult to do that if it isn't deserved. If mm -hmm. he if he does not remember divine love to the woman, sure. how is she going to soften and receive? Absolutely. Right? So I just want to encourage, like, pray into these ideas for your own marriages. Yes. You know, um, yes. because like there is like this this um, unhealthy 
feminism that creeps into even our modern day Christianity. Mm-hmm. There is an unhealthy chauvinism that creeps into our Absolutely. modern day Christianity. And we, the men, the men need to remember divine love to the woman and the woman needs to open and receive. I love that you said that because I have concerns both directions. Yes. I see that oh, yes. same vision of, you know, sometimes in the church, putting it too much on that woman that oh, you need no, to yeah. submit in honor at all costs. No. And then the other direction of the unhealthy feminism. And so there is the way God designed it right. is this beautiful, free-flowing balance that when we're all doing, mm-hmm. fulfilling those roles as we are supposed to, it's very easy to be open and receptive and even a, a flowing submission when you're being loved yes. and cared for yes. and protected the way the way God intends. So amen. Absolutely. Okay. So okay, back sorry. to, no, no, no. I'm, I'm the one that took us off there. That, 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 that but so, I'm sorry. You're just giving me these golden nuggets. Yeah. Like your story is amazing. Keep going. There's a lot of layers. So yeah. I hope you have time for, for, a, because there's a lot. Um, so after that, I really just threw myself into the church and, um, being a mom and we conceived again. Um, so we're 18 when we were married and had our first son. He's two and a half at this time. We're 21 years old and it was twins. Um, so from the very beginning, there was just kind of more of everything, more belly, more nausea, more, just more. You tripled your Uh, number of offspring immediately. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) And so I was pretty overwhelmed. Um, and just not feeling well. It was mm. a tough pregnancy. And about midway through the pregnancy, I was looking for um, little potty training pants for my two-and-a-half-year-old at Walmart, just a regular mom day. And I went into preterm labor oh. and I was admitted to the hospital. Um, and during my stay at the hospital, while they tried to control my labor, they determined that um, there was too much amniotic fluid. And they sent me to a maternal fetal medicine specialist who um, – told us that we were having identical twin girls in one breath and that they had a condition um, called twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, which was a threat to their lives in the next breath. And wow. so it was this moment of we're going to have baby girls and then um, they might not make it. And I remember my husband wrapping his mind around the first part and saying, I'm going to have to you know, protect my girls, you know, beef up so I can protect my girls and keep the boys away. Just a a typical dad response to I'm having daughters. But then at the same time, there's this, this diagnosis. And I, for me, I, I come from a long line of strong women and I'm a woman of faith at this point. And so I just really wanted them to put all those statistics away that said 80% could maybe have one or both of these babies uh, die from this condition that it was pretty serious. And that was sort of my response was, you know, we're praying, everyone's praying, they're going to be okay. And I was admitted to the hospital to do an amnio reduction procedure uh, where they could remove some of the amniotic fluid, relieve my body and the babies. Um, it caused some health issues for me as well um, because just all of that fluid was putting pressure on my organs. Um, so the, it was it was difficult. I was very ill in the hospital and just trying to keep them alive, trying to keep me alive. Um, and eventually once we were stable, I was sent home. But at 26 and a half weeks into the pregnancy, so about six and a half months, um, I wasn't feeling a lot of movement and went back to the hospital. A young nurse um, started to say the words, I'm so sorry. Oh, my gosh. And I'm pretty sure her next words were, there's no heartbeat, but I couldn't hear the yeah. words from this primal cry coming yeah. out of me. It was this unrecognizable yes. just cry of no. 
because in that moment, my 21-year-old self, which had been invincible because it doesn't happen to me. It's Mm. not going to happen to me. My God is going to protect me. Mm -hmm. I'm praying. In that moment, that innocence is gone. And there's not going to be that nursery with pink, you know, everywhere and the Mm -hmm. identical twin uh, girl dresses and the identity of even being a parent of twins. Mm -hmm. And um, we had deemed our girls Faith and Grace. Oh, that's Um, beautiful. And I had spent a lot of time during my hospital stays watching them and getting to know them because a mother does know her babies as they grow in her womb. Yes. And had some amazing doctors that spent extra time knowing that might be the only time that we had. And Faith seemed like more like her dad. She would suck her thumb quietly in the corner while her <laughs> sister kicked her and swam around and she was going to be Grace was going to be the spitfire like me. Mm-hmm. So I knew them and mm. in that moment of devastation and shock. It just, nothing made sense. Words like stillborn, funeral, they don't belong in a room where new life is supposed to happen. And I remember, you know, they took me to the room to induce labor, um, which is something I couldn't wrap my mind around as a woman has to give, you know, labor and give birth. Yeah. In my shock, I mean, it makes sense that that would be the process. Um, But in that moment, it was overwhelming. My mother felt very protective and was probably hard on that poor nurse. Yeah. As I laid in my bed, I looked out the window and there were these giant snowflakes falling from the sky. And it was like this reminder that something outside is still beautiful and perfect when my world had just shattered into pieces and that Jesus is still the same. Mm. My Jesus is the same. Mm Mm-hmm. My husband rushed there, although there was no reason to hurry anymore. And he held my hand through that long labor. You were the reason to rush there. <laughs> well, meaning our babies, I guess. I did just, you no, know, he wanted to get there, but you're right. I you were the reason. That's true. That's true. I should say it differently from now on. And, you know, it was a long labor. Um, when they were born, that silence, nothing can prepare you. Yeah. And I held them one in each arm and sang Amazing Grace. He was beside me. My mom was at the foot of the bed. It felt very brief, my time with them. And I I was sent home with some Polaroids and holding a cold base um, because I didn't have anything to hold. And I was Mm. expecting to have my arms full of babies. And the pain of that, the physical ache of empty arms Mm. was real. I didn't really know at first how to live in a world where those prayers weren't answered the way I hoped. And I didn't know how to um, even function or see people, really. I had a couple of friends that would stay with me for the first couple months. And even standing beside that tiny grave, it was hard to take a step into a world where this was true. And I couldn't move. I remember telling my husband, I can't leave them here. And he said, they're not here. They're in heaven and they're with us. So I think there were flickers of faith for him, even in that moment of devastation. Um, But that, you know, gave me the strength to take the next step. And so it was a a long journey. Uh, About a year after, um, we did conceive again. And this time, no longer invincible. So sort of holding our breath for that midway ultrasound to say everything's okay. And I think for my husband, he would have probably done anything to just help me feel better. Even mm. though another child wouldn't replace our children, if it could bring me some comfort, I think that was his desire as a man. I, you know, watching him, I think it, 
and, and watching many dads at this point, it's crippling to not be able to protect in that scenario, your child, your wife, to not be able to fix this or make it better oh, is yeah. what a man carries on top of his own grief and oh, yeah. often ignored, but that's a whole other um, story. So uh, when it came time for that midway ultrasound, we found out we were having a boy and this time um, he did not have enough amniotic fluid, which oh, indicated a concern. So we were referred again to a maternal fetal medicine specialist who who said that our, our son was... Um, he used the words incompatible with life, which is not my favorite phrase, but the words he used were were incompatible with life, mm-hmm. that he did not have kidneys. He had a condition called Potter's syndrome. And that day, it was sort of like, I, I looked at my husband, and it was like the light and the life went out, just a, as if we flipped a switch, it went dark for him. I just saw him shut down in in a much... just a profound way that was almost physical. And for me, I just felt such devastation. I remember standing, looking out the window and it was raining and my tears are streaming in unison with the raindrops. And I felt a voice, not audibly, but kind of in my head, where's your God now? Mm -hmm. Where's your God now, Kelly? Where's your God now? And I, all the way home, where's your God now? And I kept I kept thinking of the scripture, you know, I don't know where he is exactly, but he promises that he will never leave me nor forsake me. And so I know that is still true, even though I can't feel it right now. Wow. And I just felt desperate. To, I opened my Bible. We were basically told we had a week to decide if we would um, end our pregnancy or continue. And I, I didn't really know the answer right away, to be honest. I wish I could say, oh, I, I just right. knew. And maybe I should have known. These are situations that nobody is prepared for. No. And and when they tell you these frightening things, it's all of the scary things that can Mm -hmm. happen to your baby if Mm -hmm. they grow in your womb without amniotic fluid. And so you might think you would know what you Mm -hmm. would do. And I would have identified as a pro-life woman. And, and, you know, that matter, sanctity of human life is very important to me. So you would think, oh, that was an easy answer. Right. But I knew what it felt like to stand by that tiny grave. There were parts of me that would have done maybe anything to protect my family if I if it meant they would hurt less if someone said that or right. even if I believed it or or to protect my baby from harm. It was very complicated and even the church ladies didn't seem to know the answer. So right. I grabbed my Bible, which is still tear-stained to this day. God help me understand. If I just figure it out, will you spare my child? All those bargaining things we ask God mm-hmm. in our desperation, mm-hmm. which I would tell someone else that's not how it works. Right. But in that moment, you know, you're just so desperate. You know, tell me what to do. What do you want me to get here from this, Lord? What does faith even look like? Faith pleases you. You need to be pleased with faith. Show me what that looks like. Does it mean that I believe wholeheartedly you'll heal my baby? And if I believe right, will you? All these questions. Mm -hmm. And so then I opened my Bible to um, Hebrews in the Hall of Fame of Faith in, in chapter 11. And I read about all of the flawed hot messes Mm -hmm. of the Bible. You know, Rahab's a prostitute. Noah got drunk. David, you know, was unfaithful. David was a real hot mess. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And then yet called a man after God's own heart, Mm -hmm. you know? And Abraham lied. I mean, just story after story. And the other thing that struck me is they didn't know, they didn't see the 
we see them and we see the ending. We see who right. they are. They didn't know. They were just stumbling through it like us trying mm-hmm. to believe him when they didn't see. Amen. And it was just, those. that was the first thing that struck me when I was begging him to show me what, what does he want me to get? What does he want me to understand here about faith and what is true about mm. faith? And I think in your desperation, so much I learned is that during that time of that was four and a half months, we chose to carry our son at the end of that week. Um, I just knew that we couldn't have that responsibility on our shoulders. Mm. And obviously I'm so grateful looking back, but it mm. felt harder to make that decision in the moment than it should have been. But yeah, yeah. Um, I'm so grateful. He's our son. Of course, we, we trusted him, um, trusted his life with God and God knows the number of our days. And, and so that was in his hands. But during that four and a half months, it was, it was a more of a journey of what is faith? What is, what is faith really Lord? And I learned that it's not about, um, just, it's not, a, it's not about never feeling doubt or fear. It's about trusting him anyway, when you're the most afraid and full of doubt. And when there is no answer, when you don't get that answer, the sight of heaven, and so we named him Thomas wow. because that was a journey of believing without seeing. That's amazing. You know, Thomas, obviously, in the Bible is the one that's I'm like, I yeah. have to see to believe. Yeah, right? yeah. I'm sure the you thing are. we all do. Anyone else <laughs> <Yeah>. is not, <laughs> you know, like we, right, we all yeah. do it. You know, and, and Jesus says, you know, Thomas, you believe because you see, but blessed are those who believe without seeing. Mm. And that was what our son taught us, that we learned about believing God even when we don't see. Wow. Will you bless me even now? There's a scripture that, you know, talks about blessing God in all circumstances in one yes. of the Psalms and in the question of, will you bless me now? Yes. And so um, I had a great friend who was one of those church ladies I mentioned, taught me how to be a wife and mom. Her name was Dinah. And, and I would say, how am I going to do this again? How do I labor and give birth to a baby that's not going to live? How do right. I plan a funeral while praying for a miracle? How do I do this? And she said, God doesn't give us the grace we need tomorrow. Today, he only gives us enough for today. And also reminded me of 2 Corinthians 12, 9, you know, when Paul's begging God to take this thorn from his flesh. And God says, my strength is made, my grace is sufficient for you. Mm -hmm. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And she said, his grace will be sufficient. Yeah. Every day, I didn't know if that was true. I really didn't. I wish that I could tell you I skipped through it like a faith giant, but I was... It was so hard. Right. And if it was easy, it wouldn't be faith. This is the nitty gritty kind of faith that mm-hmm. you don't have. A, you you cling to him for desperation, for survival. It's yes. the it's probably the most strong and beautiful moments of faith of my life. Sometimes I look back and say, wow, who was I then? Because there was no choice. I mean, mm-hmm. there is a choice, but I don't want to do it without him. Mm-hmm. It's I need to cling to the hem of his garment yes. to survive. And, and And this is true no matter what your journey looks like no matter you know we're talking right now about Kelly's story and and the mm-hmm. challenges that Kelly faced but viewer listener like whatever yes. burden you're carrying whatever you're navigating my own wife and I there is some stuff that we've been navigating that is is like heart-wrenching for us mm-hmm. and it's it's so difficult and and we just last night actually like God, God has just been like in rapid fire lately, which thanks be to God, like finally. But, um, <laughs> but just last night actually, uh, we we had this like really beautiful um, epiphany ridden conversation where we just like it, it led us into prayer, and it was like the most 
authentic and raw and powerful prayer time that she and I have had together. And, and we've, we always pray together. We pray together literally every day. Um, but this, I, I, I literally turned to her when we were done and, you know, parents earmuffs for the kids for a second. I turned to my wife and I was like, babe, that was our first non bullshit prayer in years. That's awesome. It was awesome. amazing. Like we, we thought we've been praying well, we thought, we thought we've been authentic, but we've just been authentically wrong about what we were praying for, <laughs> for so long. And it was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was in mass. It was a Wednesday, I think. And I was like in this three day period of like just really wrestling with God. And, and I was so frustrated at him. Um, and I was like angry at him. Mm-hmm. And I, I almost don't go up to receive communion because I just don't feel right about it. But then I just feel like this conviction to go up. And so I go up and I receive and after receiving, I come back into my pew and I kneel down. And the moment my knees hit the floor, I feel, I, I hear the, the Lord whisper to me, will you praise me in the storm? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't thinking these words. Yeah. I, was, I was just straight up angry at him. Mm-hmm. I wasn't like looking for, a, I mean, I was, I was looking for him to speak to me, but like I didn't expect him to say that. And ultimately that was the beginning of the process that led to last night's prayer of, of re, uh, kind of discovering, like, I've just been looking for all the wrong answers to my prayers. Mm-hmm. Like, I've been looking for the wrong result. Mm-hmm. My expectations have been in the wrong things. Yes. Um, and, yeah, anyway, sorry. That- no, that's okay. So, you know, holding on to that, that the grace, his grace will be sufficient in that moment. And, and you know, you don't know it yet because you're not in it, but mm-hmm. you're hoping that's true, right? And when it came time for Thomas to be born, he was born alive. That was a prayer I had. And I, he lived for six hours. I was able to oh, wow. meet him and mother him a little bit. He was beautiful. There was no sign that um, carrying him had had caused any outward physical harm. Obviously, he had the in, inward condition, except a sideways pinky toe, with, which I thought was God's little wink to us <laughs> that this is the, the sweet baby that I made for yeah, you yeah. intricately and individually. Um, but when I rocked him and sang to him as he left this earth, I had the answer to my question, where's your God now? Wow. Because he was right there as close as you are. Jesus was so in that room. It is the most I've ever felt of him. I would do those four and a half months again and again for those moments because I could feel him there taking my baby home. And I felt honored and blessed among mothers to be chosen to, to sing to this baby, to mother this baby, and to be the one singing to him as he left this earth. And I couldn't conjure that as a mom. I couldn't conjure joy. That is not what I expected to feel, joy and peace and celebration in that moment. And grief came, don't get me wrong. But in that moment, his presence, his grace was beyond sufficient for wow. me. So I just wanted to make sure I shared yeah, that Yeah, no, that's, part. that's, that's powerful. So. That's so beautiful. I, I love the image of that, uh, of God being right there with you when you're rocking uh, Thomas and singing to him. That's so powerful. Okay. Absolutely. Kelly. Thank you. No, please thank you for sharing that beautiful story. <laughs> um, and, and so many people I'm sure will relate to different aspects of that. Absolutely. I know I did. Um, okay. Kelly, I think it's time for us to navigate some Catholic weird stuff. Okay. Let's do this. Hit it, Ethan. <laughs> Catholic weird stuff. Why do they do the things that they do? Let's learn some Catholic weird stuff. It's a word. 
All right, today, Kelly, our, our dear friend and guest, has chosen a topic. Now, often my guests, not always, but often my guests are Catholic. Kelly is a sister in the Lord, a sister in the faith, but is not a Catholic sister. She's not a nun. Uh, she is, uh, would you say you're an evangelical? Yes. You're an evangelical. Okay, so, so Kelly's evangelical question for the Catholic weird stuff is, what's the deal with Mary and the saints and praying to them? Is that a fair way to word that? In the most nice and non-offensive <laughs> way and respectful it's way. Fair enough. It is very difficult to offend me, and I'm sure our listeners and viewers are used to that. So, um, all right, let's get into this for a second. So, so the beautiful thing is, I want to start by saying, just on the note of you being an evangelical, um, one of the things that I got really excited about as I was uh, rediscovering faith is the way that the Catechism of the Catholic Church, um, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with this document or know what it is. I know what it is. I'm not familiar with okay, what's in it. Okay, great. So um, in this document, uh, it makes reference to our Protestant brothers and sisters in the faith. And I don't even think it uses the word Protestant. It's just brothers and sisters in the faith. Um, and and so there's like this acknowledgement here, like that in an official way, like we are brothers and sisters in the faith, and I thought that was beautiful. Yes, um, and, I agree. And even the acknowledgement that, like, uh, from the church's standpoint, the, the Catholic Church's standpoint, the acknowledgement of baptism uh, being a, a recognized sacrament mm -hmm. in the Protestant faith, right? So, like, you know, whether you're evangelical or you identify as Pentecostal or whatever it is, um, if you are baptized in the Trinitarian formula with water, it is an acknowledged sacrament within the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And if you, you know, if someone becomes Catholic, they don't have to get rebaptized. Like it's it happened. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just think that there's there's so much opportunity for dialogue and ecumenism and and Absolutely. kind of embracing this notion mm -hmm. that we really are one family. On the note of family, Mary's role for us. Uh we'll start with Mary and then I'll get into the saints. So Mary, I'm gonna start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Mm -hmm. Is it not, Kelly? Agreed. Okay, Genesis. Yes. Chapter three, verse 15. Have you heard reference to this being cited when talking about Mary before? Actually, I haven't had a lot of real conversations about Mary, so this oh, is very new. Love that. Okay. Very new. Beautiful. And, I, and I'm going to double check that I'm getting the right citation, because how awkward would that be? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I nailed it. Chapter three. Uh, so, we're all familiar, the fall of man and woman. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's an interesting thing about the language that's used here. So... A lot of times there's, uh, and this this is not explicitly a divide between Catholic uh, Catholicism and Protestantism as much as it's a divide of, of how we approach the study of Scripture, because you'll find this exact divide within the Catholic community and within Protestant communities. It, there's a spectrum of this, right? Literalism. So when we read Scripture, um, what are we looking for in its in its literary construct? Like the way that it was written, what was, it, what was God trying to communicate through that? And so there is sometimes an insistence to cling to the idea that when it says the serpent, it was literally a snake. Mm -hmm. It's not as simple as just saying that because when there's a lot of biblical scholarship that looks at the word serpent that's used here and, and claim that there's a better translation of it as Leviathan, which paints a very different picture of why Adam forgot divine love and cowered away in fear, didn't protect his wife, and why this terrifying monster Leviathan was able to get to his wife. Right, paints a very different image of how that all played out, because Adam had been given authority over the garden. Mm -hmm. Right, we have this this scene in the book of Genesis of Eve, the first woman, that who is our uh, biological mother. Right, uh, 
pitted against the Leviathan, this, this incredible, we'll call it dragon, okay, for mm -hmm. the purposes of this conversation. Um, and this isn't just my invention. This is an actual w way that people are starting to talk more about the translation that's of the word that's used for serpent there. So in, in uh, chapter 3, verse 15, it says, I will put enmity, he's speaking to the serpent, the Leviathan, the dragon, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In some translations, uh, it, it's a little fuzzy about whether it's saying he shall bruise your head or she shall bruise your head, but it's, it's this prophetic moment talking about the woman. Mm -hmm. Now, you could e read this and easily mistake it for being a reference to Eve, but in no world is there this enmity between Eve and the serpent where there's, there's this, like, she just befriended him. We're buddies now to the devil, right? So that's not what he's talking about. Then, I'm sure you've heard reference, I'm sure that you've seen where St. Paul refers to Christ as the new Adam. Yes. Right? Okay. So there was originally an Adam and an Eve. If there's a new Adam, it's fitting to consider the possibility that part of this reboot on the creation story includes a new Eve. We see Mary as the new Eve. Okay. So where Eve was our biological mother and Adam was our biological father of the whole human race, in the new creation, in the new heaven, in the new earth, in the new covenant that we find in the New Testament, Christ is the new Adam and Mary is the new Eve, our new spiritual genitors, our, our new spiritual father and mother. And we see Christ literally give Mary to the church as our mother on the cross. So he says to the apostle John, the beloved apostle, who's kind of a stand-in for any one of us and for the entirety of the church, he says to John, John, receive your mother. Mother, receive your son or your your your, chi your mm -hmm. child, and so it's like this final act where um, he is literally making all of us her children, and and she is becoming our mother. And so there's this poeticism when you start to connect all of these things, and and then we have another scene in the garden where the new Adam is in the garden, Garden of Gethsemane. I was mm -hmm. there; it's amazing. Um, and in the garden, this this new garden. The new Adam has the opportunity to abdicate his responsibility, to forget divine love, mm -hmm. and to say no to God. And he's literally kind of like asking God, like, can I get out of this? The way that Adam and Eve try to get out of things, right? Mm -hmm. um, but he says, if, if it is your will that this cup could pass me, let it be so. But, he, but he's like, your will be done. Yes. So unlike Adam, where it was the pursuit of his own will, mm -hmm. Christ in the new Adam is saying, your will be done in the garden. Wow. I've never heard this explained this way. Right. Yeah. And then. It's very interesting. Yes. And then one final reference to uh, this connection for, for our purposes here. There's so much we could do with this, but in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, do you remember actually going to the Old Testament? Do you remember what the Ark of the Covenant contained in it? Um... I don't know yeah, that it's, I remember. It's, yeah, it's it's not a common thing. But so more important than what was in I've it. I've heard a whole teaching on it though. My brain's just blinking. Yeah, it's it. fine. <laughs> so we had the tablets of the Ten Commandments, we had Aaron's rod, okay. and and we had the I believe the third thing was the bread of presence. Okay. Um and so um and if I'm wrong on that, I'll look it up later and I'll try to issue a correction after we release this. But basically what the Ark of the Covenant represented was the presence of God amongst his people, mm -hmm. right? Now, occasionally in the tent of meeting, the spirit of God would come down and overshadow the tent of meeting yes. where the ark was. Mm -hmm. 
And it would be so powerful that Moses literally couldn't enter, mm -hmm. right? Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, we discover Mary to become the new Ark of the Covenant. Wow. The Holy Spirit comes down upon Mary, mm -hmm. yeah. and the presence of God fills her womb. Mm -hmm. Now, when Moses literally couldn't enter the tent of meeting because the presence of God was there and it would have killed him, Mary becomes the tent of meeting, wow. and the Spirit of God fills her It creates life mm -hmm. miraculously without the contribution of a biological male. Mm -hmm. Life is created miraculously. That's how thickly the presence of God was in there. And she withstood, not only withstood that, but she rocked it for nine months, right? <laughs> uh, and so, and so she, she's the Ark of the Covenant. She's the new Eve. Uh, she's the tent of meeting. She's all, the, all of these things. And all of it, as our spiritual mother, she's just the first one to do this, mm -hmm. right? We are invited into this relationship with God where God would be indwelling in us. So as, as her spiritual children as her and Christ's spiritual children, we're invited to this, this incredible thing that none of the prophets, none of no one in the Old Testament had ever had access to anything mm -hmm. like this before. Mm -hmm. It's powerful. And then the final thing in the garden, uh, or connecting it to the garden, in the book of Revelation. Now, th for this, it's important to acknowledge that Scripture was not written with chapter and verse. That's, that's been, true. That's yeah. been added after the fact right. for our benefit. Right. Okay? So at the end of chapter 11... This is the final verse of chapter 11, and I'm going to read it right into verse uh, chapter 12 without a, a cut, okay? Okay. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple, and there were flashes of lightning, loud noises, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail, and a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was with child, and she cried out in her pangs of birth, in anguish for delivery. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, with seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems up upon his heads. His, his tail swept down a third of the stars in heaven, and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child, that he might devour her child when she brought it forth. She brought forth a male child, one who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So we have uh, this bookend, incredibly circular story, uh, this narrative, mm -hmm. where we have the first Eve confronted with the Leviathan, the dragon, and she gives in. Mm -hmm. And then, and, and so does the first Adam. Mm -hmm. The new Adam in the garden is, and he's tempted in the desert, right? And he doesn't give in. And then in the garden, he mm -hmm. doesn't give in and he stands his post and he remembers divine love. And then the new Eve in this final confrontation in the book of Revelation is, is presented as the Ark of the Covenant. So first, John sees the Ark of the Covenant. It becomes this woman that is wearing a crown and, and has the moon at her feet. And, and she's in this final epic cosmic confrontation with the same dragon from Genesis. Wow. And, and so the crown implies royalty. In the Davidic kingdom, the queen was always the mother of the king not the wife of the king. Mm -hmm. And so Christ is in the line of David, and he is the king. And so it's sensible for the queen in the Davidic kingdom to be his mother, Mary. And so there's all of this crazy poetic stuff happening. Mm -hmm. and, and Christ from the cross invites us to receive her as our mother. And what I experienced, and I don't know if you'll relate to this, when I was a Protestant, um, there was like this aversion 
to yeah. this, even though it's all right here. Right, right. <laughs> you know, it's there was just this like, I, well, I can't go there. It's a little too Catholic for my taste. So I, I you know, but basically, when 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 we do, because uh, when we were speaking, uh, the three of us, you, me, and Autumn, uh, before the episode, when we do pray to Mary, like we're talking to our mother, the mother that Christ gifted mm-hmm. to us. What a beautiful gift that I, for so long, was like stiff arming this gift. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of the, 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 a very kind of crude run through of some of those dynamics. First of all, it's never, even with Mary, it's never praying to her in the sense that we're worshiping her. Like we have this weird semantic thing where we conflate prayer with worship. Mm -hmm. Prayer is a form of communication, right? If you think to old English, you think Shakespearean English, like I pray you reconsider this decision, you know, like it's communication, right? So when we, a lot of people will try to skirt around this because of this confusion They'll say, we're not praying to them. We're praying with them. No, no, no. We are praying to them in the sense that like, I might call you, right? Like it's it's communication. Worship is a totally different thing. We might revere and Mm -hmm. I I might, I revere you for the amazing things God is doing in you, right? And, and through you. Um, and so with the with the other saints, it's like Christ, God is is the God of the living, not of the dead. Mm-hmm. And we have this, this uh, idea that when people die and they go to heaven, that they're cut off from us. Right. But we are one body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Even those people who are still here on earth, mm-hmm. those people who are in heaven, Absolutely. Um, we are one body of Christ who are still connected to each other. And in uh, Revelation again. When we see the the heavenly liturgy portrayed, they're offering prayers. What are they offering prayers for, if not for us? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. It's it's mm-hmm. it's it's only logical. And so we're kind of coming from this like holistic perspective of, you know, if if the, if Scripture says they're praying for us, then they're they're probably praying for us. A lot of people kind of operate thinking, well, n- now that they're dead and gone to heaven, they're having a way better time. They can't really, they don't have time to think about us. Right, right. Well, then what the heck are they praying for? You know? Right, right. Um, and so, right, there's there's kind of the crude. Well, and there's also the scripture that talks about, and I'm, I'm blanking on exactly where, um, maybe in Hebrews or 2 Corinthians, I'm not sure, but about the cloud of great witnesses oh, yes. who've gone before us and they're cheering us on, yes. right? And to run that race. Yeah. And so if if there's no seeing what's happening here, or no caring, I mean, that's not biblical to Amen. say. Really. Amen. And so I love conversations like this and I wish more people in the world would, in, in all topics, yes. not just our faith, but yeah. political and, and otherwise would take time to actually sit and ask and learn from each other, and we would alleviate quite a bit of Amen, Kelly. <laughs> division and all right, nonsense. Because yeah. it'd be easy to see our practices and think they're non-scriptural. Those are man-made. Sure, you know, it's right. like, well, everything is like freaking the celebration of Christmas is man-made. Nowhere in right. the gospel does it tell us to celebrate Christmas. Right. Nowhere in the gospel does it tell us to celebrate Easter, except that we're celebrating the resurrection of the Lord every Sunday by moving the Sabbath to Sunday instead of Saturday. But it doesn't say once a year in a special way celebrate it. Right. You know, so like there, there's, there are so many things that we just take for granted right. that are in fact man-made, mm-hmm. right? Yes. That doesn't take away from the validity or, or the value of it. Um, yeah. So, you know, and then with praying to the saints, it's like, why not just pray directly to God? You're right. I'll never ask another person in my life to pray for me again because I'll just pray to God directly. <laughs> like, there's no argument that can be made there that can't right. also be made for our own sure. interpersonal interactions. Sure. You know, so Absolutely. that's the the wide the wide stroke of it. I appreciate it. Yeah, that's good. you're welcome. Good okay, stuff. let's talk about sufficient grace ministries. So you 
Um, at the end of the story that we shared in the first segment here, you, you'd gone through this, you held Thomas. What, what does it look like to go from these experiences to starting this organization? So quite honestly, at first, I wanted to stay as far away from pregnancy, happy or sad as possible. I just wanted to stay married nurse my new baby and go to the little league game. I, I really wasn't looking for, some people want to see a purpose born from the pain and give birth to something beautiful mm. um, after walking through something like that. That wasn't me actually at all. Um, so I, we didn't start the ministry until eight years later. Um, and I say we, my husband was supportive, um, but it, it was more something God laid on my heart, but he certainly was always supportive of it. Um, but it, a friend of mine had walked through the loss of her baby, and I it was the first time that I asked myself what would I have wanted when I was trying to support her through her her time um, of grief and, and giving birth to her daughter. And I wanted to give her a baby book that said uh, her baby mattered. And mm. all I could find were baby books that showed all the milestones that we were missing, you know, or right. that she was missing. And would so you're just organically her. trying to help a person yes. in a similar situation to what you went through. You weren't thinking, I'm going to start this no. like empire of no. pro-life work. And that, and I love yeah. that about it yeah. because so many people, it's beautiful when they do it and they're amazing women, you know, and men who start organizations based on their experience and, and there's blessings in that. Yes. But what I love about this is that it wasn't for a legacy for my children. It wasn't to fill some void in me it was to help someone else yes. because I think your purpose has to be to meet the needs of others and serve them. Amen. Um, or it, or there's not, there's often not longevity in it. Yes. If it's just for those other purposes that passes and then, and then what happens to that work that you, you started. So it was truly a calling God stirred on my heart for her Wow. at, at first. And, yeah. and then it became, okay, we created this, what else is needed? And so I started a blog. Um, this is actually what our, our memory book looks like now. It, at first it was a scrapbook because, and I don't have any crafting abilities at all. Um, <laughs> I can't make beauty with my hands. I have words that I can speak, write, and sing. Those are my gifts. Love I that. cannot make beauty with my hands. That was my mama's gift. That's awesome. Um, so I'm gluing buttons and just, I have this idea in my head and I'm crying, writing poems. <laughs> and what would I want in this book, yeah. you know, creating this book? And, and we called the baby book um, Dreams of You because that's what a parent loses when they lose their child. And that's just, what this is? It, it looks like this now, okay. yes. Can I see it? And this, it's much better than the scrapbook when I was gluing the buttons. Um, as people began to request the books uh, quite quickly, we realized, Kelly, you can't glue buttons on every page and cut scrapbook paper, you know, and plus it probably <laughs> didn't look that great. But, um, some of the hospitals started carrying these baskets I was making with, I had dollar store bears as well. Uh, so we wanted to give a book and a bear so the mom had something soft to hold when she left the hospital. And my mother said, you can't give them dollar store bears. So she created the first comfort bears. So that's this guy that I'm holding oh, here. Wow. And she actually uh, made all of the bears until she passed away after a battle with cancer. Oh. Um, she was just 50 in 2006. Um, I think she gets to see from heaven absolutely Amen. that her comfort bears have now gone all over the world. Yes. Um, but the special thing, I mean, they're just a bear, right? It's a simple pattern. Anyone can make a bear, but... What's become really special about these bears is we have ladies now, a team of ladies who make the, the bear shells, and then we have bear stuffing events with different groups. One of them's Alpha Sigma Phi fraternity at BGSU, which is our favorite event of the year. They've now done it 10 years. 
I shouldn't say favorite, but one of. We do a lot of hard things at Sufficient Grace, but spending the day with the fraternity is is not difficult. They're very fun, and they've supported this, and, and so that's really neat. That's um, awesome. They stuff the comfort bears, and they ask for donations, so they've raised quite a bit of support. Wow. And then we just kept adding things. I had a blog, and I was connecting with families online and hearing their stories and what did they wish they had. And so we added resource books. Um, I wrote uh, books for moms, dads, grandparents. We interviewed dads and grandparents so that it was their perspective because obviously I can only speak as a mom, right. um, you know, from my own perspective. But um, books for siblings walking through grief. Um, the more that we talked to birth professionals and families, we were realizing, you know, there's this tiny window of time when your baby dies and you don't know what to do. No one, no parent thinks, what would I do if my baby died? Right. And so you have this little window of time while you're shocked and traumatized and overwhelmed and exhausted to fit a lifetime of love and memories. Mm. And if somebody isn't there to say, it's okay to hold this baby, to bathe this baby, to dress this baby, to parent this baby. Yeah, like here's how to deal with this situation. Yes. Right. Then you don't do it. Right. And then in a week, a month, a year later, there's these regrets that add to the grief. And so we're hearing the story again and again. And I learned as I spoke with birth professionals, there was very little training on, on, for them. They mm-hmm. learned how to save a life. They didn't learn what to do when when a baby died or wow. even a person. You know, there's very little talk in the medical community about that. And so we began offering in 2006, I started workshops um, from a parent's perspective to help and, you know, build confidence and give tools to these um, birth professionals, mostly nurses. And this is, this is what a parent needs from you. This is what they need to hear. You know, these are the experiences and opportunities and resources and um, kind of just started there. And as I continued to work and hear more stories from the, not just the birth professionals, but the families, we realized there was still a gap. Not mm. every OB nurse became a nurse because she wanted to help with this. So she, not everyone was comfortable. And so what could we do to bridge that gap? And we were learning about the idea of, of um, remembrance photography and support at the time of loss um, through bereavement doulas and, and things like that. So a doula is someone who helps in a typical labor might be a non-medical support person to help a mom right. through labor, yeah. but to to specifically help in perinatal and neonatal loss with memory making and kind of working through that grief and, and being there physically going yeah. to be there. And so we, we call ours comfort doulas, but yeah. we developed our perinatal hospice and bereavement support services where we would physically, we would train people to physically go into the hospitals and um, serve alongside those families as comfort doulas and remembrance photographers to actually be those hands and feet. Right. Um, and bring clothes to fit babies of any gestation, bring these resources, help wow. them bathe their baby, do footprints and handprints, um, work with the spiritual care for baptisms and prayer over their children, um, any kind of keepsakes and, and you know, memory-making opportunities mm-hmm. that we could give them. And it it started with one hospital had to say yes, right? And I go in with my little bear and my bag and mm-hmm. m- no letters behind my name really except an associate degree in early childhood education, which doesn't get you far in the medical community. <laughs> so I'm just this grieving ma'am who's got this little ministry with her handmade book coming yeah. in. And I somehow get a meeting at Defiance Regional, ProMedica Defiance Regional Hospital. I'm surprised um, that that would be the first one. Right, right. Yeah. It was ProMedica. That's that so was interesting. the first one. And they were the first people to kind of let us come in. Um, a, a few other hospitals had used our book and our resources, but to say, 
I want to physically right. come when when this happens and and walk with your staff and your the families. Yeah. And they they said yes. They were our first wow. yes. And once we got a yes, I I could then go to the next right. hospital and say, well, Defiance is doing right, it. Right, you right. Know? Um, and somehow this crazy girl that started this in her basement, you know, had no no real earthly right to be walking into the hospital other than I certainly did study and learn mm-hmm. uh, as much as we could about birth and, and what we could do to support these families. And Has Mercy let you guys in yet? Now they have yes. Now, okay. So, so Defiance said yes at first, and then some of the smaller hospitals in Henry County and Fulton County, kind of around that area. And then um, it took quite a while to be to officially be in Prometica Toledo Hospital even. That happened within the last five years. Um, and then Mercy just last year um, wow. actually has welcomed us in. We went to 39 hospitals throughout the state of Ohio last year. Um, we usually go 200 to 250 times a year to the hospital to serve these families day or night, 24-7. People can call our on-call line and and we'll send our team in. And what, what we see is a transformation. And this is once the nurses have seen it, anyone who's hesitant, once they see what happens when that devastated mom who doesn't know what to do next and that dad who's looking going, I can't fix this. Mm-hmm. What do we do? And to see someone come in and one step at a time help not only bring comfort, but that what to do next mm-hmm. and help them honor the life of their baby and even celebrate amidst that grief, that right. life, and say this life has value and and give them permission to parent and really yes. take away that fear so they can love and parent their baby like God created them to do, which is in them. Right. They just need someone to say it's okay. Right. When they watch that process and by the end, that transformation, we say that we change the story because we see some of that heaviness lift. And not that we took the pain away, but that you bring that that honoring and celebration into mm-hmm. that grief. and. And they're not alone in it. Right. And yeah. So there's like a, a component of accompaniment yes, for the not alone part. There's yes, guidance for the yes. how the crap do we deal with this right, part. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Wow. And, so and we beautiful. use the word companioning okay. um, it, it, because it, that comes from a book. Uh, I did not create the word companioning, although <laughs> I wish I could take credit for it. It's really the essence of what we do yeah, because yeah. you're coming alongside and mm-hmm. being present in it. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think of bearing one another's burdens, um, in fact, one of my one of my fraternity boys that started the comfort bear stuffing at BGSU, um, he once was doing some. Um, we'll say court mandated volunteer work at sufficient grace ministries. Um, just a, a fun guy. Our, hey, whatever our, it takes <laughs> to get him there. <laughs> I love him. I love him to pieces. But he said, uh, you know, Mrs. Gherkin, you are, um, you're a grief bearer. And he later told me that he got um, the this connection. There was a book called Sin Bearers years ago and a mo- weird movie. Yes, I'm, uh, there's there's a movie called The Sin Eater featuring... Something like that, yes. Yeah, it's, it okay. features... Uh, what's the guy that played the Joker in The Dark Knight? Yeah, he, Keith, Heath Ledger. Okay, is he, that who's he's it? He's the Sin Eater, yeah. yeah. So anyway, that that's what it came from, yeah. his thoughts. Um, but he was explaining how they you know, took the sins on themselves. And obviously Jesus is our once and for all taking the sins on himself in Christianity. So this was just a unique movie. It's a fictional. Right, right. But he said, you take a piece of their pain. Mm. When you go into that room, you take a piece of their pain and you make it a little less 
um, heavy yes. for that time that you're there. And that is in reality what bearing one another's burdens is. You yes. can't take the pain of grief and that's not what we're there to do, but it's just like, you know, you're holding that bucket right. and it's heavy and someone comes along and they're carrying it with you. It's still just as heavy as it was before someone was carrying it with you, but you don't feel the weight of it yes. alone anymore. And that's what our comfort doulas get to do when that's they so enter beautiful. that space. Um, we call it, um, it's the, I call it the sacred ground where heaven meets earth because it's the most of Jesus I've ever, ever experienced. Wow. And not just in the way he comforts. Um, it's our ministry is based on second Corinthians one, three to four, um, where he talks about comforting others with the comfort we've been given. Mm. Um, but it's not just in the, in his actual presence there, but what he's taught me about how he hunts us all down with his love <laughs> because I'm hugging gang member daddies just oh, as wow. I am churchgoer daddies and, you know, prostitute mamas just as I am, you know, ladies of the faith, you know, just it's. And that same beautiful love is there for every single person. Amen. And he pours it through us. We get to be vessels of his yes. love when we stand there. Oh. So it is a powerful life-changing ministry for those of us who are part of it. Um, I wrote a book also about our family's journey. Oh, we got to plug it that. Was, right? Um, I'll leave a copy with you. Even, okay. And if you want to do a giveaway, I'm happy to to send another copy too. Okay. But um talks about just how God made beauty from ashes in our own life and then the whole foundation of this ministry, but but even more in depth of that faith yeah. journey of, of just walking through this with him. Beautiful. It took me 10 years to write it because I was just busy serving and not sure. really thinking about writing a book. <laughs> hey, there's that's but, good. <laughs> Book's probably better for it. <laughs> right. It was first published by a traditional publisher, but they went out of business, so we had to republish oh, it ourselves. Okay. <laughs> but um, but anyway, uh, yeah, we just we just continue to grow. We've served about 17,000 families. Our resources have been shipped to every state in the U.S. My and goodness. 35 countries. Um, so not just in-person support in Ohio. We, we cover the whole state of Ohio with our volunteers that go out and serve as, as comfort doulas and remembrance photographers and then ladies uh, um, who make items. Gentlemen are certainly welcome, but it is mostly ladies <laughs> who are doing this. Um, we have many wonderful, understanding, supportive men, though, behind this. Yeah, work, yeah. Uh, for sure. Um, because it is a mission field. They're going out at all hours of the day yeah. and night and um, definitely need our prayers. Um, so as as I shared um, that we're doing all of this, you know, we, we haven't spent a lot of time. We spent time serving, learning how to serve families well, immersed in that and and learning how to, um, you know, develop these relationships with the hospitals. We have uh, CEU approved training now for the nurses, the doctors, all sorts of amazing things again that it's like only God could orchestrate that I'm yeah. I'm standing there able to have a voice and and share passionately with these medical professionals all over. Yeah. Um not just Ohio but multiple places in the country. Yeah. Um but we're we're just trying to help um even the the community of Toledo know mm -hmm. that this is here, whether they need a resource, mm -hmm. whether we can be there for someone or whether they'd like to partner in, in supporting this work in some way or volunteering. So yes. wow. you know, really want people to know about it. You, you remind me and don't, I, I don't know how this would be taken to say it, but, or to hear it, but you remind me of Moses. So, oh, wow. <laughs> um, no, I mean honestly, wow. it's it's almost any it's almost any story. Like what you were getting at earlier when you were reading through Hebrews and stuff, um, it, it's almost like in every instance where God um, 
appoints and anoints someone to do something profoundly mm-hmm. important for the kingdom, mm-hmm. in almost every instance, it's someone that it's like, really that person, you know, and you were, you were questioning like, you know, I only have an associates right. and, like, you know, childcare or whatever it is. Who, right. who am I? Right. And I think about like the devastation of the things that you and your husband went through, mm-hmm. um, even just going back all the way to the initial conception and how it's like, mm-hmm crap, what did we do, you know? Um, Like, I'm sure that there was just so much tumult over the years. And I think about how Moses, um, you know, first there's just the incredible uh, typological thing where the Pharaoh is having uh, the the babies killed just like uh, Herod would do when our Lord is born. Um, And so it's like this this terrible thing happens and Moses only escapes because his mom, you know, tosses some dice and throws his throws her son into a basket into the river um and then and then uh you know how he ends up like do as as a a prince of egypt like doing things that were probably not super moral right Mm -hmm. and and i think you know ultimately killing someone and and like these are these are hard moments for him that he was so lost and he felt abandoned and he felt confused (laughs) But God was using all of that. And then and then we have reason to think he had a speech impediment. Mm-hmm. And God's like, you're going to go to speak before Pharaoh on behalf of me, mm-hmm. God, <laughs> right? Yeah, right? And I just see you questioning yourself, like, who am I and the sufferings that you went through? And, mm-hmm. and God is always playing 5D chess with I us, love it. right? I love and, it. and you th- you look back at the suffering that you endured and it was like, you know, and then that, that whisper, that lie, like, where's your God now? Mm-hmm. And he was allowing that suffering so that he could create in you someone who could serve so many others. Yeah. And it was only possible through that, right? Because my children lived right. so many thousands, seven, over 17,000 families have found comfort and hope you know, since we started even counting. <laughs> so, and probably more that we don't know. Yeah. Um, Amen. And how humbling, because I am certainly an imperfect vessel um, in the beginning and to this day and every day. <laughs> um, it is really just his grace. Yeah. Amen. Really. It's um sufficient grace. Absolutely. <laughs> Ministries. Absolutely. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. It really is. Amen. Praise God. Well, Kelly Gherkin, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing vulnerably your story and and your passion and uh, for enduring my nonsense. And, oh, uh, you're awesome. I've, I've enjoyed it. Well, so. good. Glory to God. And Autumn, <laughs> thank you for being here today, too. Um, Autumn is the new development director yes. for Sufficient Grace Ministries, and uh, you brought her out today to hang out and check things out. So Yes. Awesome. Where can people find more, learn more, and maybe even get involved? Um, sufficientgraceministries.org is our website. So tons of information there, whether they need resources, want to volunteer, want to donate. Um, and it also has a current events page. Um, we also are active on social media, mostly on Facebook and Instagram. I don't do okay. as much on Twitter, but um, we are there. They wanted to find us there, but um, we do try to keep Facebook pretty current and Instagram as well. Um, we actually have a lot of um, support groups um, ongoing and have an event coming up too, if I can throw that out there. Yeah. Um, people can participate either in person or um, virtually, so they can participate from anywhere, but it's our annual Race for Grace Pregnancy and Infant Loss um, Remembrance Walk in 5K. Okay. 
and that is happening the first Saturday of October, but registration um, usually closes in September for anyone who wants, you know, to have a, a sign for their baby or a name on a shirt. So we try to start talking about that sooner, but that's that's a really special event. About five to 600 people participate, and we elevate the um, population of tiny Deschler, Ohio, which is only has about 1,800 people usually. Deschler is so, small. Right, <laughs> yes. Our headquarters is actually in Deschler. Oh, wow. So okay. another unlikely God story, right? right? He, okay. He picks Deschler. It's yeah, like yeah. Nazareth. Right, yeah. <laughs> or Bethlehem, you know, like right. what? Oh, it's very similar to us. Like, we have this international reach, you know, a yeah. couple million streams per month, and it's in Bowling Green, Ohio, it's of all great. places. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Right. I should have been thinking this is international. So it's not just Toledo that needs to know this. This is sure. here, and we're here for, for yeah. anyone anywhere. But. Um, absolutely. And so, so yeah, if, if there's anything, you know, we, we just want people to know, we don't want anyone going through this without knowing someone's there to walk alongside Amen. them. So Kelly, thank you for your yes to the Lord thank and thank you for the work you're doing. Um, I've had a wonderful time getting to know you and you too, Autumn and, uh, viewers, listeners, please do check out sufficientgraceministries.org. Um, learn about what they're doing, get involved, donate, support them in whatever way you can. And if you want to support the work that we're doing here at Awakened Catholic, things like this, this conversation, uh, and so many other conversations, all of the shows we produce, the events that we put on, I really want to encourage you to visit awakencatholic.org slash donate uh, to join the Awakened Nation. Uh, we need your help. We unfortunately recently had to do some layoffs, and it was awful. It was one of the worst experiences of my life, first time doing it as a boss, um, and we just really, really need some help building a strong foundation. So I want to invite you to visit awakencatholic.org slash donate to keep the lights on, keep the cameras rolling, and keep the glory happening that God is doing uh, through the different uh, people here that are contributing. Um, and then also, finally, we have an event here in Awaken Theater on August 19th featuring Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Uh, he's an amazing deacon. He used to be a police chief. He also used to lead trainings for the FBI. Um, and now he's just this internationally renowned speaker and author. Uh, he's about to publish, I think, his seventh book. And this one is on the topic of racism from a Catholic perspective. Uh, and I think the title is Building a Civilization of Love, Racism from a Catholic Perspective. It's an event on the same topic, August 19th. Visit events.awakencatholic.org to uh, get your tickets. All right, everyone, before we go, just need you to know that Jesus loves you. Peace.